0: Welcome, everyone, to The Title Block, uh, live, in fact. Uh, this is June the 6th. Thank you very much for a couple of weeks of a hiatus. I did move uh, in the past couple of weeks, so it's good to be back. I am, of course, your, your host, Michael Cruz. Uh, and uh, tonight, we're going to be talking to a wonderful panel of designers about uh, collaboration, across, collaboration across disciplines, uh, and I'll get to their bios in a second. First, uh, I wanted to welcome you to uh, The Title Block um live um and we'll be taking your questions tonight uh, michelle cutler who will be uh moderating tonight's discussion will uh, tell you all about that uh, make sure you don't miss our next episode uh, of the title live by clicking subscribe here on the channel uh, and i also want to point everyone to the where you can find the past recordings uh, of interviews with uh, designers and other kind of uh uh, uh interesting talks uh, about canadian theater uh, at thetitleblock.com. A number of the people we're going to be having on the panel tonight uh, have been interviewed uh, for the show, and uh, you, can, you can find in-depth uh, interviews from them at thetitleblock.com. Um, you'll also be able to find uh, complete bios uh, or these brief bios of the of the people who are on the uh, panel tonight, as well as links to any kind of, uh, of their material uh, online um, to their websites. So let me first now introduce uh, tonight's remarkable guests. Uh, in alphabetical order. We have Kate DeLorme is a sound artist and co-founder of Loeb Spatial Sound Studio in Vancouver, BC. Her work ranges from contemporary dance and theater to immersive sound experiences. Kate, welcome to the Title Block Live. She's there, I know she's there.
1: Oh, I said, Hi, thank you.
0: Oh, hello, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> Rachel Forbes is a Toronto based set and costume designer who thoroughly enjoys a good puzzle whether artistic, jigsaw or crossword. She loves and misses collaboration most of all. Uh, Rachel Forbes, welcome back to the Title Block Live. Hi. Uh, Pam Johnson has been a theater designer for 40 years and was an instructor at Studio 58 for 29 years. She's designed in most theaters from Montreal to Victoria. Pam, welcome to the Title Block Live.
2: Thanks, Michael. Thanks for hosting. This is great.
0: Uh, Beth Cates is a set, lighting, video, and mixed reality designer who started working in rock and roll a long time ago and is now actively creating work that blends virtual reality, augmented reality, and live performance. Uh, She is currently completing a master's degree at the University of Calgary and is a proud member of the Associated Designers of Canada. Uh, And she's a mom to an eight-year-old who has the same Mm. initials. Beth Cates, welcome back to the Title Block Live.
3: Thank you, Michael, so much. It's great to be here in this company.
0: Uh, Megan Koshka is an Edmonton based set, costume, and lighting designer and a graduate of the University of Alberta. She was recently nominated for two Sterling Awards for the Blue Hour as part of the Skirts of Fire Festival. Megan, welcome to the Tidal Block Live.
4: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Uh, Michelle Ramsey is an award winning Toronto based lighting designer who works with dance, theater, and opera companies across the country. She's also on the board of the Associated Designers of Canada. M- Michelle Ramsey, welcome back to the Tidal Block Live.
5: Hi, Michael. Thanks very much for having me.
0: Uh, Amelia Scott is a video designer, projection technologist, and new media artist creating for theater, opera, dance, and beyond. Based out of Montreal and working across Canada, she works in the intersection of animation, video, film, and live performance. Amelia, welcome to the Tuttle Block Live.
6: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: And of course, my co-host for tonight will be Michelle Cutler. Uh, Michelle is a sound designer and composer based in Vancouver who works primarily with the intersection of music and storytelling. She's a board member of the EDC and a core member of the Vancouver Design Forum. And she's the most recent interview released at thetitleblock.com. Michelle, uh, welcome back to the Title Block Live. And I will throw the panel discussion to you.
7: Thank you. Thank you, Michael. I'm so uh, happy to be here. I really want to uh, thank Michael and Connor for all the work um, they've been doing over the past several weeks, bringing a bunch of designers um, in to just chat about the work. its It's been really fun to see that. Uh, up until now, they've been doing discipline-specific panels. So it's been really focused into um, those specific design areas. And this is the first time we get to have representation from every design discipline. So we can start talking about the collaboration and the way that these things intersect Uh, and you're all women, we're all women. And uh, that's fun and it's cool to have an opportunity for us to uh, all be together here and taking this space. I mean, I, you know, I think that I've maybe done one or two shows over the years where all the designers were women and I'm sure we all have had very similar experiences like that. Um, We all know, we know that the industry is very imbalanced in a lot of ways when it comes to representation on a lot of fronts, not just gender. Um, so that's out there, it's part of our experiences, but uh, none of this has to be framed around um, women's issues or uh, uh, our identities in any way, um, but it's here in the room and, uh, you know, we'll just see, see where the conversation goes. Um, for people who are watching and listening, if you have questions that you'd like me to ask the panel, you can put them into the YouTube chat and we'll um, do our very best to get to them. Uh, So we're going to start just by asking a a question, a fairly um, quick question to each person and we'll go down the line so that um, each person gets a chance to answer and you can start to recognize uh, these different voices a little better. And then we'll just open it up to um, a more general conversation. So the first question is, uh, what, what artists have inspired you as a designer? So these could be designers or not. They could be people you know, or they could be uh, people you don't know. So we'll start with uh, Megan.
2: Hello.
4: Really great, start Okay, hi. Um, <laughs> um, are we talking like lately or just in general? A- it doesn't matter. Lately okay. or when yeah. you first began, whatever. For sure, sure. Um, I feel like lately I've been. I bought a bunch of books about some designers recently. So, um, and I've been watching a lot of TV with my time off. So, um, in terms of some costume designer, Sandy Powell, I think has been really cool. She's also got a great Instagram, um, and. Uh, Uh, Michelle Clapton as well um lots of tv consumption so that's what I've been checking out (laughs) great yeah uh Pam um
2: I think really early on influences were my mother and grandmother and aunts they were incredible artists in their own right like just you know homemakers and stuff but They were crafty. They were, my mom was a potter. Um, So as far as design goes, I think it's sort of always been around and they've influenced me incredibly. So that's been my influences for sure. And continue to be, which is great.
7: Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Amelia? Uh,
6: Yeah, my... I don't know, early influences were a lot of just like 2D hand-drawn animation and stop motion animation. But I also was really um, interested in like surrealist painting like just like Dali and and stuff like that. And I think that kind of surrealism influenced like, yeah, applying images to settings and this kind of dreaminess that I bring into my work, so yeah.
1: Uh, Kate, um, <laughs> I I can't think of like a like a single person like an artist name necessarily, but like um, something that that I um, that was influenced me when I was like kind of coming out of school and I just was a little bit disillusioned with theater. Um, but I saw this production by Twenty um, Something Theater of Tender Napalm, and that was like this like change of, of what theater could be, and and um, really got me interested in like more movement based uh, practices, and and sent me on this course of working in that industry.
7: Cool, thanks, uh, Beth.
3: So like, I have a massive list, um, but I was thinking about really early influences and it's something I've kept coming back to uh, in a whole bunch of different ways. And William Blake was one of the first um, major influences and in it was because of the combination of of text and illumination um, that, and I discovered him at a, at a really young age, but there were, there are, I was was trying to think of this, too, from a female perspective and um, and realizing how many of the artists on my list, like people like Patty Smith and Janet Cardiff and early practitioners like Brenda Laurel. And then from the visual art aspect, Captain Colvitz, like people who are really um, able to dig into other ways, other modes of expression, and uh, and then people like Marianne Weems and her team at Builders Association who can who have brought them to life in in tremendous ways um, and then probably the most profound influence would be the the entire design of the Wizard of Oz um, which mm-hmm. has been something I have watched multiple times a year since I was tiny so <laughs> all of those things and more um, it was a really fun question to think about
7: awesome. Uh, Rachel.
8: Hi. Um, for me, I think when I was in school, I had a wonderful prof, uh, Tenet Mendez, who uh, passed, and she was a an influence for me and inspiration. And then also, she introduced me to um, Piranesi. You know, those uh, I did these etchings of prisons, which I found really uh, inspiring and, and like interesting way to look at space and um imagining spaces, which was really cool. Um, and then some painters I've been interested in right now are like, um, I've been looking back a little bit, Alice Neel, uh, Gustav Klimt, who else was I looking at? Norval Morris, so it so just some things.
7: Fantastic, uh, Michelle. Uh,
8: I,
5: I found this question really difficult because the, there are so many things I'm interested in, so many people and artists I'm interested in. So I started, uh, Thinking about now and what keeps me um, inspired now, and that's the people that I work with now or have worked with m- more recently. Um, and two of them are Allison Mcmacken, who is a, a theater creator. Uh, uh, she has a company called Theater Rustical, and she's just a, an amazing person to work with. And uh, Nina Lea Kino, who's a director who I work with a lot. And both of them are very—they're directors that push me and really inspire me with their work. So.
7: Fantastic. Thank you, everybody. Um, So I think everyone can I think, feel free to unmute unless you have a barking dog or something behind you. Uh, And we're going to open it up just to the floor. So feel free to jump in whenever you feel inspired. Um, The first question I'm going to ask is um, about collaboration. So other than the director, uh, who is your most important relationship in a design process?
3: I'll jump in. Okay, uh, I would say that the other designers. Um, this is a really hard one to to think about too, because I, I try to like everybody's important, right? The production manager, the TD, like they're all they're all important. They all have a huge influence. The one that I I work. Um, sometimes the hardest on because we're often not connected to each other in the, the ways that we've set up our systems um, is the other designers and to just have really good robust conversations uh, with each other uh, and inspire each other and sort of get into the the meat of what we're all trying to achieve um, and then and then really good conversations with the technical support team and the, the production management team so they also then know what we as a team are are trying to achieve and we're all on the same side
1: I would I would second that that the that the other designers are the my most important um, contact to have in um, recent years it's been more, collaborating and integrating and and getting all the systems together and that becomes even more important that we're all on the same page and I'm often putting in cues for for multiple departments and yeah
7: I can throw in here are there design disciplines that you wish you collaborated more with
5: Uh, I mean, yeah, as a, you know, as a lighting designer, I, I, I am often one of the, uh, myself and the projection designer are the last people in the room. Um, and I, I often wish that uh, set uh, when, you know, initial set conversations are happening, that uh, I'm invited in more often. Um, there are, that is changing. And there are directors that I work with that make it, uh, it's definitely in their, in their personal mandate to have. These sessions with all the designers together and choreographers and and you know like everybody that's sort of uh, considered the creative team, um, but certainly it's an old school thing to invite the technical design folks in after, which I wish didn't happen as much as it did.
4: Yeah,
3: I would I would second that one heartily. I find when we when we strive for early integration and sometimes we have to advocate for that, right? Like. I know I've started taking to like if I get the contract we'll start poking at the people that I know are also involved so that we can get those conversations going early and they're always so fruitful um, and I've noticed the same too that that Michelle has like di- directors are starting to advocate for this for themselves too, like it's part of their own practice and um and that's extremely valuable. Like there is no downside to early conversations
4: that I've encountered yet. Totally, I would agree with that. And I think also, I think someone touched on it too, but the production managers and or like the team that you're working with to kind of put things together, I think is so important. And uh, oftentimes that collaboration is really awesome. Um, but yeah, I do I do also wish that lighting and sound um, were integrated sooner. So I definitely do some similar things, Beth, where it's like, I want to go needle people earlier because there's no downside. I would like,
2: uh, I'd like to say that I'd like to see, uh, projection designers involved a lot sooner than they are these days too. They always seem to be, um, an add-on or, a and I don't understand why they aren't part of the concept initially or that kind of thing and and so um video designers I would like directors to know or the visionary people and and consequently the companies that are going to support us that they budget for them and they plan for them as opposed to you know kind of look at you in the gas when you say yeah we'd like to do projections And you go, what? That wasn't, you know, in the scope of things. And you go, well, it's kind of like, you know, you kind of have to these days. So, or at least plan for it.
6: Yeah, I feel like I'm often getting dropped in so late on a project that I'm having to play so much catch up. Like, all Mm -hmm. the other designers seem to, like, everybody knows the show. They've had so many, like, rich conversations. And I'm like, I don't know the vocabulary of this show. And I don't know how to be a part of it and it it, sometimes it feels like I'm in tech when I'm finally kind of getting into what the heart of the show is and that like is a huge detriment to me because I'm like wildly trying to make stuff and catch up but also that like it could be so much better if everybody's there from the beginning. Mm
7: -hmm. Uh, Yeah and I mean I guess following up on that are there things that you wish other designers or other just design disciplines knew about the work that you do, um, that could improve that collaboration?
2: I've had, um, a lot of directors come up to me and say, you know, I wish I had taken a design class. I wish I had, um, taken a lighting class, uh, so that I have the language to talk to lighting designers or set designers with. So quite often, um, uh, I think, yeah, it would be great if directors took more of an interest in the technical aspect of it because it's going to be very much part of what supports their vision. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's a, that would be great if they took an interest in that way.
4: I would agree. And I've worked with dire- directors who I can tell like do have knowledge of lighting or some of the more backstage work and it's only adds to... Collaboration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things
3: too, like in advocating for um, early integration, uh, particularly of video design, like we have a a gap in vocabularies uh, and we have. uh, which is part of how our, our education systems are set up and, and directors don't always get a chance to put their hands on lights. Um, and it's true, Pam, like some of the most uh, exciting conversations I've ever had were with directors who actually knew the names of the tools. Um, because then you can actually have a really robust conversation about what light you're putting where or how something is being projected from one place to the other. Yeah. Um I would say, like going back to the the um the crux of the question, is there something that you would want other other designers to know too like it wasn't just it like i think and it's not to make it all about projection design but um the knowledge like just knowing how long everything takes that it's it's really (laughs) it's a really complex time-consuming thing um that gets faster and faster and a lot of us are really adept at like doing like I often will do things with two hands um on two different systems so that I can get things going but um that sort of idea of like, we can make the change but it's going to take time. Or when I'm sitting frantically staring at something, I'm, I'm actually working really, really hard at trying to do 12 things. And um, uh, there, I, I work with a, a director um, who's based out of Calgary here, Jenna Rogers, um, who's the artistic director of Chromatic Cedar Company here. Um, and she she starts off her process too with making working agreements for the room and it's when people get to actually say this is how I am in tech and I get really grumpy on day three (laughs) or you know so that we all have a sense of of how everybody is in the room and it was so valuable because it was the first time in our process um for doing a show for vertigo theater here where I actually got to say like we are going to hit a point in the tech process where I am, like, I'm going to be working so hard and you're going to ask me a question and I'm not, probably not going to answer you. And it's not because I'm being a jerk. It's like, I'm concentrating so hard and it was actually really valuable because then she knew and the rest of the room knew that uh, that's what was happening in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was really really great because you often don't know like once we're all on headset too and you're talking to 12 mm-hmm. different people and so it's that the, the multifaceted thing that uh, particularly in projection design we have to manage or in like really complicated lighting designs too right where you might have more than one programmer so
1: yeah I would also I would also say and sound um oftentimes I have to be if I'm if I'm in the room I'm in headphones and so and then sometimes i have people talking to me that i don't hear because i'm in noise cancelling headphones too because i'm working simultaneously um, in a computer and then I'm on the stage and there's a balance
8: there um yeah I, yeah so sorry go ahead oh i was just gonna throw in there that i love when lighting designers um uh, take an interest in like in paint treatments and fabrics and that kind of thing. I mean, everybody has different kinds of knowledge, but it's really exciting when someone takes a lot of time to really think about it. Um, And the other thing that I love when lighting designers uh, have have like a full knowledge of lighting, like a a range of skin tones on stage, just because it can be really challenging. And then, you know, when it comes to the costume design side with makeup and fabric colors, and like trying to get all those things to work together can be a real challenge. And so, you know, the, like being educated on that is really great too.
7: Mm -hmm. Well, and we sort of talked about the the technical design fields a lot. Right. And, and I'm curious for those of you yeah, who do design costumes and set, um, maybe it, we kind of think we understand what it is you do because we can see it and hold it in our hands. Uh, and I'm curious about, you know, if you, uh, yeah, I I I'm just, if anyone has any thoughts like what you're saying, Rachel, about the way that these two worlds can uh or should intersect a bit more.
4: Um yeah, I think uh as, as more of a set and costume designer, I certainly um I do like, and I do lighting design as well, but not as much. So I'm certainly not as well-versed as the rest of us in this, but um, I do try to like keep those conversations open and like keep things in mind because uh, in terms of, yeah, I like to um, chat with, you know, when I'm not the lighting designer uh, and I'm designing set, I want to talk about paint treatments or same thing with costumes. Like I want to talk to the lighting designer, set designer about color and how we're using color on stage and things like that. So I try to like keep all that around. And I guess I would say with like costume design specifically, uh, so much of it is not seen as well um, in terms of like the amount of shopping, how many times I'm in a shopping mall in a week or like um, dyeing costumes in my washing machine in my basement and then bringing them in the next day, like things like that. There's like a lot of unglamorous unseen work. Um, But I think that can go for like a lot of disciplines as well um so I think that's generally understood but
6: yeah
5: I I uh love it when a costume designer comes up to me and says ah that doesn't look right <laughs> you know <laughs> and then I can be like oh crap what color gel should I throw on that <laughs> head you know uh and and I try and do as much prep work as I can you know going into the costume shop and looking at wh- whatever they happen to have and stuff but Sometimes I get it wrong and it's easier for me to change a gel color than a costume designer to change a costume or a, to repaint a, a, a wall. So I really want uh, costume and set designers uh, to f- talk talk to me and tell me if so- something's not looking right or, you know, sound designers to c- say, I really love the way that my sound is arcing. So can we talk about how we can work together and say, you know, like production designers, like how do we how do we in the room in tech work together to understand each other's work and to make each other look good and sound good and it's so important I think to to talk to each other and I've I've certainly been in rooms where you know you've you don't really you've never worked with the person before and it's hard to like get a groove on and then it feels like sometimes it happens so late in the process um so I'm really working hard uh, myself to understand things early on and try and be open early on um, to what people are trying to achieve.
7: Um, so kind of following on this conversation, um, do you have a, an experience that was uh, sort of maybe an unexpectedly positive collaboration, uh, whether it was with an unexpected design discipline or uh, yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah, if you've any anything that pops to mind in terms of collaborative design experiences,
2: I have to say that um, I think every time I work with new people, uh, it becomes an exciting collaborative time, and and I always try and find the positive, and there always is positive stuff. So um, I can't really think of anything that stands out uh, exceptionally except you know when when a team comes together and the final production is up there, and you can stand back and look at each with each other and go, "Wow, that turned out brilliantly that that little mistake there actually worked well, and you know those kind of moments are are when you you realize how much um it is a collaborative effort, and you don't do it all by yourself and uh so I'm always trying to find a positive and there's always something. I think you can always find it no matter what.
1: Yeah, I would say, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I I was just going to say that um, I think when I started working in dance um, and being brought on so much earlier in the process and being brought on in a place where the show hadn't even really hasn't, it usually hasn't formed like we're working together to, to build a new thing. It's not usually based on a script. Um, it, it becomes this collaboration between the production elements and the choreographer slash director. And um, that, that has been like just incredibly valuable and also um, validating of my artistic voice in the room. I think, too, yeah,
3: I think that's a, a really, really important point, um, which maybe we can come back to. But the the, the designer is artist and the voice of the designer in the room. Um, I was thinking about um, unexpected things. Um, unexpected things and I I was in a a process with Michael Francesco, who's a beautiful set designer um set and costume designer and and Peter Hinton and we were we were looking at fabrics for a set and um we there was a, a fabric that they were interested in because it had actual thematic ties to the story and it was a fabric that I had never projected on and it was it was all just sort of it all sort of just came and it came out of those great conversations at the at the dining room table right playing with fabrics and playing with the model and and it was this really it was this really unexpected thing that just came to fruition for all departments. So sonically, uh, aesthetically, thematically, dramaturgically, like it all came together and it was, and I don't even remember anymore cause it was so chicken and egg and it was this beautiful, um, dialogue. And, and it was a, it was a material that I knew theoretically should work, but we didn't know. And the whole like 20 foot walls were covered in this material. Like the whole thing was covered in felt. Um, And it was a big old guess. Uh, And it was really, it was magic. It was one of those things. It's the, I, I talk a lot about the alchemy of things. And it was one of those alchemical moments where it took all of those elements being together in the room, having the dialogue, with complete and utter um, respect amongst everybody for our individual voices and our knowledge um, that that then made the piece fly Um, which then resonated with the actors uh, which was really important which was something I wanted to also talk about, about how our, our actor friends and bringing our actor friends into the design process mm-hmm. and showing them what we're doing and explaining why we're doing it and, and taking them off the stage and going, that's your world. And it, I've had many actors talk about how that changed, how they were seeing their characters, right? Because it, it happens, right? You put the corset on, you put the shoes on and that changes your your physical self. But then when you see the world that you're also inhabited in and have, and when they have the, the vocabulary too, for what we're doing, it, it's really like, that's another really exciting piece of our, of our
5: puzzle. Mm-hmm.
7: Yeah, and let's talk more about that. I know at the costume design panel, uh, there was so much discussion, of course, about the relationship between the actor and the costume designer. Um, but I feel as though for a lot of the other design disciplines, um, sometimes there's a bit more of a barrier. So I'm um, just, does anyone have any thoughts about that? The relationship with, with the actors? I,
6: I mean, I a,
2: oh, sorry, go ahead, Pam. I, I think it's vital and I think it's, um, integral. And, uh, I think from, you know, sometimes you don't need uh, an actor until the very first day when you're doing show and tell. Um, but I think, uh, with your, you as, your presentation as a designer, if you have passion for it and if you're excited about the project, you'll start to get the actors on board right away. And I do the same thing as Beth. You know, I try and bring the actors on stage for the first time through the house, put up a lighting, a lighting state so that it looks like something because it isn't all about them. It is about the audience. And that's why we do it. If there isn't an audience out there, there's no point in any of us doing what we're doing, so um, it just gives a different perspective off the get-go. Go ahead, Michelle. <laughs>
5: Thanks. I, I, I was going to uh, sort of pushing off from what Pam was saying. I think it's important for, uh, for them to understand what we are seeing and that what we are seeing uh, is w- we're helping with the storytelling and we're helping with uh, the, we, we are there to help the audience understand what, it, what they are trying to tell us. So, you know, like I'll, I'll often h- have an actor come out and, and, and look at a light or look at a, you know, like show them the direction that a light is coming from to help, mm. uh, help them understand how they will be better lit and be, uh, you know, like, um, uh, better seen, but also, uh, the reason for the light direction. Um, <laughs> and, uh, if I don't understand why they can't, uh, find their light or do whatever sometimes i will go on stage and try and figure out what the what the issue is um, and I find that also gives me a bit more presence with the company and I think it's really important for designers to have that present presence uh, with the company so like making yourself known in the rehearsal hall and making yourself yeah. known in the theater and not just be a quiet voice in the back that yells once in a while to the left you know (laughs) um so yeah bringing those performers into our world is so important
1: i yeah i i super agree and i also think that um yeah i've had experiences of like of something like with it with a cue point not working or there's like a um something and then i've just informed the performer like I've, i've like talked to the performer and like about where something's happening and and they thought it was happening in a different place or I've I've just had that that interaction so many times where trying to trying to um diffuse it through through different steps um makes it more difficult and so if, if there's like a if there is this open dialogue of like we we can talk to the performers as designers and or you know be involved in like a Um, production notes talk at the end like um, that's it it can be so helpful just like because they could they everybody understands if we're just talking at eye level about what's happening
2: um, I'd also like to say that uh, I think as a set designer um, it's my response my responsibility um, as much as any of the technical directors or production managers to make the set safe for an actor so um, as a designer I will climb the ladder that I'm asking them to to climb I will jump off the ledge and land in a you know so that I can be there when they go to rehearse it and I can say to them well actually I've done it and it's not bad and you know and and assure them that we have made all the safety um, safe taken all the safety precautions that we need to and I think that's important to to build that trust and that relationship as well.
6: A way that I'm getting closer collaborations with performers is uh, when I'm using live cameras on stage. And that's always super interesting because often it's the performers who are operating those cameras. So it's an opportunity to sort of invite them into my process and coach them kind of through my vision, but also I'm giving them a lot of artistic license as well to explore things. So that for me has been like, A Super rewarding thing to explore and just like brings those two disciplines that often are are quite separate like right together
4: And I think too for me like it's I always find that like uh, My collaboration with actors as some of us have said like it starts when we do the design presentation so I'm trying to like unload Like, however many months I've been working on a production and, like, all the nuances of what I've put into it in, like, a 30-minute presentation while, like, my hands are shaking because I'm, like, so nervous. Um, So, like, that's a a challenge. And I try then, like, after that point to really, like, get face time with the performers if I'm just doing a set design or lighting. And, like, with costumes, obviously, we get a bit more face time, but also trying to, like, keep the, like, collaboration still open, like in a costume fitting it's like oh if we like let's talk about why we don't like this or why you know how do you feel in that oh it's this let's well, you know nothing set in stone like unless it's I don't know some fancy historical show that something can't change but generally it's like oh we can you know let's talk about it and figure it out together which I quite like and it would be nice to have those
8: conversations soon but I don't know. Yeah, And further to that, I, I love sharing um, research with actors, mm. like sharing w- how or why we came to various decisions because it's like a design for me tends to be just like a, it's like an incubator. Uh, you know I have like I've put all my materials in uh, and then something comes out, and sometimes I don't even really know why, and so it can be really useful to, yeah. to share the like that source material with the actors.. Uh-huh.
7: Uh, I'm really curious about something that uh, Michelle said, and also Beth said about uh your presence in the company and uh, also Kate about um you know being being acknowledged as a presence in the room and I have the questions of um what do you feel your responsibility is as a designer to the production and to the community and to the larger community um, which is a very broad question to put out there, but I think that there's um a really interesting. as designers where um we sometimes feel a little bit aside from everything and for myself as a female designer I feel like there's sometimes you know that's another layer to it so I'm just curious if anyone has thoughts about your role in the company and um and as as an artistic voice as opposed to uh, a voice that is implementing something as a yeah I don't know let's see if anyone has anything to say about that
2: Okay. Um, (laughs) Go ahead, Kate. No, you go. You go. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I think uh, it it sort of hit me. about five years ago, that I'm now a senior artist. And, and Which was a weird feeling because I've always felt that I'm still learning and I'm still a baby at this and I've still, I don't know anything. And, um, and now I feel like I'm a senior artist. So as a senior artist, I feel a certain responsibility um, to, uh, to nurture, and mentor. So uh, I continue to do that. Uh, but at the same time, I'm still learning, I'm still um, discovering new things and, and hopefully bringing new things to the table. But uh, I think as, as we mature, um, I think that's one of the responsibilities of a, of a senior artist is to, is to mentor and support the young talent. I know yeah, I totally, answer,
5: I, no, <laughs> I, I totally yeah. agree with you Pam yeah. I think it's I think um, as a as a, a person that's um, got a bit of seniority you know like I I'm pretty secure in the amount of work I get now as much as any of us are secure well not now but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as much as any of us are secure uh and I, I feel a responsibility for sure um, to to be a mentor and to be to be someone in the room that if there's a, a question or a problem, mm-hmm. I can be uh, I can be there to help or to listen at the very least, um, and maybe to question what's happening, I guess. Um, and there uh, and also. Um, as you know, like when I was first starting as a designer in the, in the room, in the rehearsal aisle, I was quite meek and I was quite, I wasn't quite ready to take my space. And I hope that, um, now taking my space, other designers who are junior to me can understand that they can take their space too, that they have, they have room at that table. Um, Mm -hmm. they should, they, they have a right to say things, um, to voice their artistic opinion, um, to be at the table when we're doing table work and actually say things and not just listen to what the actors are saying. Um, uh, Of course, like leaving room and leaving space. Um, And I think as designers, we are all trained to listen and trained to evaluate and um, to respond. Um, but it's also our, we, we are there with voices that should be heard as well.
1: Totally. To to build on that, I I'd say another responsibility that we have is, um, for the greater artistic picture, um, to be an outside eye and to, to offer up some of that insight when we can and, and when it's appropriate.
5: And that's that's key i think is to uh learning when it's appropriate um, yeah. because it's not always appropriate to say things absolutely <laughs> <I surely laughs> said things when i shouldn't but
3: <laughs> which is okay too because everybody does that yeah yeah <laughs> yeah no and i would i would echo all of that too i would say like you know 30 some odd years in like i too have found myself as like the, the most senior person in the room and, and which seems really weird because in my head I'm still like the 14 year old doing rock and roll bands right like it's 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 weird um but I'm also extraordinarily aware of it and I I've done like I know we're not specifically talking about the the female the female perspective on in the in the industry but I have also uh as someone Who's both a lighting designer and projection designer have have gone to the lengths to try to mentor young women, uh, emerging women, people who are who are coming from other realms too, from computer science and um, in different places and and. and and do that mentoring work because I do think that is a responsibility. I mean we have the the great fortune to have like I don't I I don't even know how many shows I've done anymore which means I've gotten to see hundreds of processes and work with hundreds of people and I get to bring all of that in my little brain and and share that and and um I recently had an experience where I I was working with a, a set designer, uh, an emerging set designer, and it was her first ever um, a house show, and so she was terrified, and and it was in re- and, and a new director, and and she had not worked with any of us, and there was a real great. We have a, a really great opportunity in those moments too to build um, to build, like Michelle was saying, right, to build people up and to. Um, really, um, really um, claim that, claim that space to really uh, feel confident in our ideas. Um, And that does come with time, right? You get more confident as you, as you go along, but um, to be able to share that knowledge now, uh, it feels really, really, really important. Um, And it's one of the reasons why I'm getting a master's degree was so that i could like have the credentials to to teach people what to do um which is not true like it's it but it 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 just allows access to to educational institutions and um where we really great people are coming in with Um, really great ideas. And I think to the other side of the flip side of that responsibility is to listen and to listen to our new collaborators and to listen to um, the emerging designers coming in because they're also coming in with a whole other kind of knowledge and a whole other perspective on things that I have found really inspiring. Like when we talk about inspiring artists, some of the, the most inspiring things have come from uh people who are just beginning their careers and and that's been really uh a really beautiful exchange um
4: yeah nice yeah also i feel like quite i still feel like quite the bebe in in certain areas uh so i i feel like and it's interesting cuz i've uh in my community um i graduated not that long ago, but now there is like this younger generation of artists that are emerging that are creating like the coolest and wildest things. And so I do find that like as a responsibility in terms of, you know, show specifically, I find myself wanting to create space that is safe and able to have people um, move and create art in um, and like make people feel safe in that way. But I think I I do try to work harder on Claiming that space for my own. So, I generally try to be like a sponge with anybody I work with or am around, like just soak up everything. I got to go to the Prague Quadrennial last summer and, like, it was just like a sponge the whole time because there's so many people there who have so much more experience or other, you know, knowledge. And it's, yeah, it's really cool to be around people like that and who want to and they're willing to share those things. It's awesome.
7: Uh, well, it's very interesting as everyone sort of is somehow now talking about where we see ourselves in our career trajectories, and nobody, none of us ever want to believe that we're not emerging anymore. Um, but a question that came in from somebody was um, Was there a project that you f- feel like was a marker in your career, either as a turning point or a I've made it, now I'm a senior artist moment? Or a, I'm gonna refocus my work in another direction. Moment.
5: That's that's kind of a hard one because I find that um, uh, some of the more the shows that I find are uh, artistically more satisfying are the small shows. <laughs> So, like, as a marker uh, in my careers, uh, wh- what was it again? The um, uh, what was the question again? Sorry, Michelle.
7: Oh, just if there was a a show that felt like either a turning point show for you All in right. your career or a moment where you maybe took a leap or uh, turned
1: a different
5: direction. Hmm. Sorry, I don't really have an answer for that. <laughs>
1: um, I I have one. Um, this past summer. Um, I was, uh, in residency for a show and, um, I just found myself having so much fun and working a reasonable amount of time and working hard, but it was like, just like, you know, eight hour days. And <laughs> like, uh, I really enjoyed everyone I was working with and we'd, took our lunch breaks and, you know, and I was like, that was a turning point for me of like, this is what I want to strive for in my work. This is, this is how I want to feel. This is how I want to feel in everything and what I do. Um, And, you know, that's not always achievable, but like, I think that's my, like, that's my point that I want to
8: hit. Big dreams. I, I guess I have one show that I don't know if this fits the question, but um, a couple of, more than a couple of years ago, I did a show called um, Black Boys with uh, with a group of great people, um, and we we're working with Buddies. And uh, one, it was a transformative show for me, just like as an artist, I, I felt like um, I'd never been part of a process like that, and I and I came in when we were they were sort of like a company in residence, so. We you know, I got so many kicks at that show, like we did it uh um, sort of as a workshop presentation, and then the next year, I think it got picked up, and then the next year it went on tour and so the great thing about that show, not only was it wonderful and transformative and really like uh, it was multidisciplinary and it was working with a projection designer in a way that I'd never done before, and I was quite young and when I started working on the show, I was still working in restaurants uh part time and like the, the, at the workshop stage that's where we were and by the time the show went on tour I was like at the Shaw festival designing a show and so it really felt like oh okay I am really do, this is a huge it was one of my first main stage shows and then also it sort of like took me to this place I don't know it was so interesting the trajectory that I that I traveled within working on that show and it kind of like you know really really like centered me for some time anyway so it was a really interesting one.
2: I think uh, I've had benchmarks along the way you know um, uh, going to work as a as an apprentice one of the first apprentices at the Shaw Festival and going from the west coast to the big the big time um, was pretty exciting and then to be asked to come back as an, a design assistant, and then to actually get shows at the festival. So that was, those were all benchmarks. And then to get asked to work at the Grand, and again, you know, an incredible theatre, beautiful theatre, uh, nothing like what we have in Vancouver, and uh, those kind of things along the way um, were wonderful. And then things like going and working as a, as a swing dresser in London on a Vita in London, England. And all of these things add to your arsenal of creativity and the people you meet and where you want to go in your life. And coming back to Canada and coming back to the West Coast uh, and being resident designer at the Playhouse. You know, again, benchmarks that were huge for me and altering my my life um, with friendships and all that kind of stuff too. And I find myself now with, um, with theater not being around. I'm at another benchmark and having to um, take a look at what's next. Is there anything next for me? You know, I look around at all this amazing young talent and I go, uh, they're the, you know, you're the ones that are going to take us into the future, but I'd like to be part of it somehow. So again, it's just kind of finding the next benchmark for me.
4: Yeah, and I would,
3: um, to go off of that, like, I think there are many benchmarks. I was thinking about this as we were all talking, like, there's lots of benchmarks and those. You do the big show, you win the award, like, those kinds of things. And I can see the trajectory now. There was, but I was thinking about um, what we were talking about earlier and the voice of the designer in the room. Um, And there was a show that I... I was a co-creator of uh, a few years ago um, and it was uh, at the Blythe Festival with Paul Thompson and Gil Garrett. And I was made a full third collaborator. Like I was paid as a playwright would have been paid, as a, as a regular co-creator would have been paid. And that was the first time that my contribution as a designer had ever been acknowledged in that very specific way of like, you are one third of this team and your contribution is equal to the performer, the director, we are all writing it together. And that was, that was significant because that sort of, that was a real um, acknowledgement of what I've always felt we as designers bring Mm -hmm. to the work. Um, and certainly like co-creation collaboration, device creation opens up that opportunity for, for that kind of acknowledgement to happen. But that was, that was the turning point for me. And that was only a few years ago, but it has, uh, massively impacted my practice and what I feel I can contribute and, and how I lead in a room, like, um, as, as sort of not always shy as I am, Um, I I feel like I have a a different place now, and that is a really powerful moment for me.
7: Uh, We have a question from the YouTube chat. Uh, What strategies do you use when you reach a creative block or obstacle during the conceptualization of a design?
8: Panic. (laughs)
4: <laughs> cry maybe <sighs> just a little
5: stop <laughs> drafting go for a walk, go for a walk. <laughs> okay. have a glass of wine
1: <laughs> yeah yeah step step away from yeah. it like don't overthink it think about something else shower principle
4: like just get your mind off it sleep on it usually yes. I was like coming back to a creative project like the next day and I'm like oh oh actually not that bad or like. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I also find a when we were in university, we did this after, you know, like hour 13 in the studio and you haven't seen sunlight in like days, we would go sneak into the dance studio and just blast music and like move our bodies around and just dance like idiots in the dark. And uh, I find that really works. So it's like me in my studio, like dancing around, but just to like get blood pumping because I've been sitting here for hours also very useful. I recommend it to lots of people. I
5: I also think if you're having a creative block and you're under a deadline, just try something. Just, you know, if you're not, if you don't have, um, uh, if you don't have what you need, just put something on the table. And if it's wrong, you can change it.
8: (laughs) Um, uh, Astrid Jensen, my my mentor, she told me uh, if you're stuck, Throw everything out and start over <laughs> It's a little bit devastating to say that, but also <laughs> you realize one of two things either you were right in the first place or the new idea is better so that's a really that's a really good point yeah emptying out that model
3: box can sometimes be the most liberating right thing ever um, and then you stare at it blankly for days. <laughs> But going for a walk, I I really I, I always forget and then I remember every time I go for a walk. Like going for a walk is just the things will just appear and and you have to do it slowly, right? Like you can't, you can't force yourself, like it's one leg in front of the other. So it's um yeah, going for a walk, even when it's minus 40, can can work. <laughs> I
2: um I go back to the script and I think ultimately. Uh, For me, that's that's where I need to go. And quite often when I get a script, I'm doodling when I'm reading. And sometimes those doodles will spark, you know, especially if you've got a block, go back to what those original doodles were about, or why did you doodle that at that particular moment on the page? And what has it got to do with the script? And for me, um, ultimately, that's what I'm serving is the script, first and foremost. And... uh, so that's what I do. I go back to, to the text.
5: I'm curious. Does anybody... Oh, sorry, Michelle. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I, go, I talk to my director. I, call, you know, say, hey, uh, uh, Blue, what do you think? <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah, or your other designers. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, you know, sometimes... I'll... It'll just be like, and also being honest about that, like, I still have a lot of imposter syndrome, I'm often the youngest person in the room, so sometimes I'm scared to share that I don't know what I'm doing maybe at this moment, but like, everybody's kind of doing that in a way we're all figuring it out on every project, so reaching out to my other collaborators, they'll sometimes either just like, be there for moral support, or like, you know listening to a piece of music that a sound designer is working on like that's helped me a lot it's like at this moment i don't know where we are i don't know what i'm doing and hearing what they're doing i'm like ah i can i can roll with that so yep. that helps me mm-hmm. yeah
3: huh. and that was my question Once does anybody consult other designers because it's always that conversation you're like oh you struggled too really like <laughs> you had it all together and i was the one that couldn't pick between purple and another purple um, <laughs> this purple or this purple there's, there's, so, no, many purples. there's <laughs> so many there's purples. Purples. <laughs> i'm just gonna go with the one and i have
5: always oh used. god if anyone is my facebook friend they'll know my trouble with color <laughs> <laughs> like every show i do i'm like this color or this, this color? color
1: This color.
3: Yeah. No. oh yeah, yeah. hours cool. hours yeah. hours yeah,
7: oh my, my god <laughs> Um, So we have another question from the chat, which is a little specific, but I'm going to open it up to everybody, which is this question was, to the projection designers, how do you become one? What advice do you have to people starting out? What work to look at? What software to learn? Maybe we could just open it up to everybody to talk about, you know, what are a couple things that people uh, should do when they're trying to get into this, this line of work? I don't know, God knows why, but yeah.
6: (laughs) Um, I, I teach at the National Theatre School, I teach video. So, I mean, one thing is you could enroll in a program where they teach it. Uh, But aside from that, um, I'd say just like, really, where I got my start, like, when I went to theatre school, I didn't really know projection design was a thing. I didn't know what the heck I was doing there. But I had always been really inspired by film and animation. Um, And did a little bit of amateur filmmaking, experimented with a little bit of animation. So like, I'd say just like being inspired by those mediums is like the great start, Um, playing around with things. I mean, I could list off like software to learn, but yeah, I think just being inspired is,
7: yeah, awesome. And I will. I'll just mention that there was a projection video design panel that happened a couple of weeks ago. So if you go mm-hmm. to the title block um, main site, you can see that, and so you can listen to an hour and a half of just projection designers talking. If you want to get into that, some of that more nitty gritty stuff.
3: I would say in the Broadway, like not Broadway, but in the, <laughs> the <way. laughs> jazz hands. <laughs> um, seeing and reading like just consuming art and life and having as as broad a knowledge about everything as possible and going to museums and galleries and the little galleries and the big galleries like going to fashion shows going like just the consuming aesthetic sonic like it's all it's all so valuable um, and it, because it all goes in there, and you you find yourself pulling things that a gallery exhibit of a sound installation that you saw 25 years ago is suddenly the answer that comes up on your walk mm-hmm. when you're blocked, and I think. Um, and, and, like, Megan, I think going to Prague was, was brilliant. Like, when, when you're our student, um, taking advantage of those opportunities that you might not have access to, again, because it's so expensive. But going to those kinds of quadrennials and engaging with other designers is a, is a really great way to start. But, um, and philosophy and politics, and like, it all is part of our design process. And so starting out or becoming a designer as we are all, I think we agree, like are constantly emerging. <laughs> um all of that would be the place to start. Cause yeah, like like to the specific question, like the specifics of projection design too, it's is so vast at this point. Like I think that the that's a really we could spend the rest of our time just doing that. Um, but I think in the broad in the broad uh, perspective of design that would be my advice
5: I I think also uh, knowing what theater you like and knowing which theater artists you like so try and see as much theater as you can and you can be like oh I like this director I like this designer like this projection design aesthetic and then when you do start talking to uh, different people you can understand which way you want to go in the field Um, and uh, you know, try and get in there. Like, uh, in terms of just be becoming a theater artist, go to fringe festivals. Like, you know, if you're first starting out, uh, go to small shows, volunteer at places. Um, I mean, you could go to school. I went to school. That that's how I got in. But a lot of people didn't. Um, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. So there's lots of lots of lots of ways to get in there. But I think finding finding someone that you can talk to that Um, you know, like I always have people emailing me and asking to just have a coffee with me and ask, you know, pick my brain. And, um, I, I, I talk to as many people as I have energy for (laughs) sometimes I don't have energy to talk to everybody because, uh, well now I do, because what am I doing? (laughs) But in the before times, (laughs) you know, I would fit people in over, over dinners or over coffee breaks or whatever. And, and, uh, and they would get as much as they would put in. So, um, a shadow I'm happy to have people shadow me um excuse me, but um they'll just they'll get as much as they can uh so you know if you don't put anything in, you're not gonna get anything out
1: yeah so i would sense. i would sorry go ahead no no no
5: no <laughs> then, thanks
1: <laughs> I would say that's a good that's a good overarching <clears> term,
5: <throat> with, like you're gonna
1: get as much as you put in like I started out volunteering um in high school in community theater and I didn't like, I didn't know anything about anything I was doing. I (laughs) didn't know um, what was going on, Um, but I, you kind of like just being in that environment, you, you figure out a direction you might want to focus on, or you figure out kind of like the, just the energy of, of how theater works and that, that this giant collaborative effort and that it does take a lot of effort it does take a lot of passion to be in it um and so you can that's a good place to figure out if you do have that passion if you're if you're willing to put in that much effort um and uh and having and volunteering and like having that like um that base like even going into school or while you're in school is is only going to help you Is only going to help you excel
2: One of the things I think is really important, and I think this is for all disciplines in reality, is life drawing, figure drawing, the human body, getting to know it. You need it as a lighting designer, you need it as a costume designer, you need it as a video designer, how does the body move, Um, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. And so, you know, any life drawing skills you can or classes you could take would be really advantageous
4: yeah I was going to say I do uh sometimes I do little like chats uh and presentations for junior highs and even elementary school kids and like high schools and that's one of the questions that comes up so much is like what if I can't draw I'm like you can draw you just need to practice it's a muscle like you just need to work it out every day which god I sound like my professors at school like <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's so true <laughs> Well,
2: and and also in life, notice where the light's coming from, you know, and how it affects the body or how it affects a room or how it affects, um, so that, you know, when you're layering in animation and that kind of stuff, you have an understanding of the light and you have an understanding of how it hits a body and um, that kind of stuff. So I think just being really observant and and taking note of all of that kind of stuff is great. Amazing.
7: Uh, So I'm going to shift a little bit towards uh, this really interesting question that came in on Designers Guild, um, which I'm just going to read, which with the situation of the pandemic, has there been any ideating or imagining within each of your disciplines about what the performance space might look like either now or moving forward?
6: Well, I've been making these cool zoom filters. That's uh, my new design discipline. Is this is this a homemade personal? I made this just for tonight. This is for wow. you guys. Yeah. Fantastic.
1: I <laughs> love it. Are you on a Mac, though? Yeah. Yeah.
6: <laughs> it's just for the aesthetic, the Windows XP aesthetic.
3: <laughs> Which we all miss dearly. <laughs> um. Yes um uh there's I've been doing a whole bunch of research into into VR virtual reality and augmented reality and how it intersects with live performance um and what that has given rise to um being involved with like a whole bunch of really um, some ad hoc, some very formal um, research groups that are international. Um, so I'm also seeing what is happening in other countries. Um, but in one, with one group in particular, we're, we're really, really interested in the embodied experience within virtual reality and how we can then as, as designers, as performers, as theater makers, um, be in this virtual space, that uh, can be anything uh, and how do we construct that virtual space how to um, as people as theater makers who know how to move bodies around how to how to craft the eye how to how to d- direct the gaze um, what is what does that mean now in this space that can be anything and so there's um there's been a lot of of uh, what's the word ideation. There's a lot of ideation around around that, and I've been, I've you know tell this. It now feels like I've told this story from so long ago, um, uh, from like nine weeks ago, <laughs> the first meeting that this group um, had in in VR, where we played like old-fashioned theater games, like we played Two Truths and a Lie, we played little improv games, just to see what we could do in avatars, but with people, people, avatars around us, um, and what we could do in shaping space with bodies, um, uh, and and looking at that tool is, is both a way that could potentially inform future practice and future ways of making theater, um, perhaps as we, we continue to stay distanced um, uh, and what that could mean for how we think about space going forward too and what our spaces are gonna be. And um, so there's a lot of imagination happening in, in these digital realms. Um, so yeah, I would say I have there I've been having a lot while also being completely like paralyzed and frozen mm-hmm. into not knowing what to what to do. But there are some really, really exciting tools and we've had a lot of talks too with that, which is what's really exciting about accessibility and Both in terms of like access to technology and how accessible or not accessible these tools are for um, people who can't hear, people who can't see, people who can't, who have um, different abilities. Like it's, um, so the conversations have been huge and wide ranging, and a lot of them have weirdly happened while in virtual reality with like people who are dragons and robots and um but uh, yeah so there is a there is this metaverse there's this other world um that needs our skills as designers and shapers of space those who understand story of space um and process of design who understand how the body moves um and so that has been really interesting too to bring into projects that are now um, frozen because they can't we can't meet uh, in person and and sort of throwing this little virtual reality wrench into things and like, okay, can we make our strange experimental movement based piece? Can we do it still scattered across the country, but can we do it in this other way? So that's my long rambly answer <laughs> um, but it's exciting and weird um, and
4: Yeah. I think, as a coming from a set and costume designer perspective, I. Uh, have really recognized my shortcomings in technology, uh, and that I wouldn't even know where to begin to create an avatar on my screen or do things in VR. Um, So that's definitely been an anxiety of mine. Um, But one of my housemates actually is also a designer, and he was part of a virtual production that quite successfully took itself online. So that was... Uh, really exciting to kind of see that process and perhaps that is the future and see the amount of work and like artistry that he was able to do so uh, that's been giving me a bit of hope because I'm like oh I don't I'm not as tech savvy as I think I am so (laughs) yeah I I think it
3: actually opens up some really interesting possibilities like we're gonna we the avatars that I have seen and there was an avatar fashion show in one of the metaverses that I'm in and it was it was we need costume designers. <laughs> okay, <laughs> <that's good. laughs> we need, you know, because there are things that you understand too about fabric, and we can actually in the virtual worlds talk about fabric. We
0: mm-hmm. can,
3: we can, we can create things that move in the same way, and so knowing the difference too between like silk and brocade, and like there's, um, uh, I think these are the collaborations that can start to happen as we as we pause and as we reinvent forms and and invent forms Mm. so
5: yeah and I think Beth I think that's a very important distinction I think this is an invented form this is not theater this is different than theater I think it's Mm -hmm. not a live you like for me theater is live to live right so uh, personally I I appreciate those forms as they are, but I don't think it's theater. And for me, I'm actually not interested in that as for myself. Like, I'd be interested to see it and to, to witness it. But for me, I want a live, I want, I'm, I'm so distraught because I miss that live connection that we don't have. And I, you know, like I was looking at postal worker jobs today, <laughs> that's sort of my, like, I I don't know where I fit into this virtual reality world that I, I have never really had an interest in um, as a, uh, as a maker, as a participant, maybe, you know, Um, but it's, 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 uh, it's something to me that I, I have to wrap my mind around that. I've yet to wrap my mind around.
2: I'm, I'm in the same place. I'm, I'm totally, you know, floating and, and, and in limbo. And part of it is, is uh, for me, the actor-audience relationship. And that, you know, we've all sat in rehearsal and gone, oh, this show's a piece of crap. You know, it's not funny. It's not, you know, one of uh, these actors going to get it together. And, and then you get on stage and you throw an audience in there and that's when the magic happens and that's when the show comes to life oh my god it is funny those actors do know their lines they mean what they're saying it's an an amazing experience and we're all sharing it together and and that's the part that i am I'm, I'm kind of mourning i'm kind of grieving i'm trying to grapple with uh, how do we do that and and i think ultimately theater will survive because it has for thousands of years anyway, but it will start with a single actor on the stage, telling a story, feeling it, meaning it, sharing it with an audience. And whether it's an audience of 50 or 10, or eventually we hope back to, you know, 750. um, I think that's what's going to have to happen. And, uh, but I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of, um, thinking that the young people will solve all these problems and we'll figure it all out. And I pat you guys all on the back for it and I'll be happy to support you. Again, I don't know where I fit in because I'm so old school and and that whole actor audience thing means a lot to me. So,
1: so uh, Something that that we're doing um, with MySpace, which we made... Specifically for the reason of bringing people uh, into an experience um, is we're we're gonna we're conceptualizing the idea right now to do these kind of bubble performances so people can come in and into like can book the room to have a live experience um, something that like couldn't be witnessed in headphones like this would be like the um, mm-hmm when we open up a little more to like stage two or whatever but and and like you know big sanitization processes but um I'm really excited with the concept of of like making something that people can um like a a set like a a full like theatrical experience that people could come in and kind of like move around as though and, and interact with and and get like some
4: sort of show. (laughs) Awesome. Really cool. I've been daydreaming about um, like a drive-in theater. I don't know how it would work, but I think the mistake, or if it was like a movie theater and a a theater theater, that'd be cool. (laughs) I'm in Alberta. There's so much space
5: here. I think they opened up drive-ins in Ontario. Yeah, Uh, drive-ins in Ontario.
1: They run into issues with the with the bathrooms because yeah. everybody still
4: has mm-hmm. to Oh
5: right. <laughs> That's always gonna be the issue. Yeah.
3: There, was a, yeah. there was an action in in Seattle where it was a it was drive in theater, but it was like you drove. It was all movement and you drove to like these dance artists' houses and sat in your car and watched them perform on their porch or in their window. And it, mm-hmm. and I think it formed a story, but you drove to a bunch of locations. So
5: oh, in Alberta, cool. that it's like. It's like dusk, dusk <laughs> dances in Toronto, you know, but a yeah. car version or maybe they... bike, bike version. I don't know. <laughs>
7: <laughs> Amazing.
5: <laughs> that's cool.
7: Uh, so in our last 10 minutes or so, um, sort of on this vein, um, I guess is, the question is, uh, are there structural changes or what structural changes would you like to see happen uh, as we begin to go back, uh, as theaters begin to reopen?
5: So many. <laughs> <Ten> minutes, <hey? laughs> uh, for, for myself, I would love to see, uh, uh, sort of what Kate was talking about actually, the uh, the hours changing. Um, I am a workaholic. I work way too much. I, and, um, there've been so many situations where I have a four hour notes call that leads right into a five hour Mm -hmm. rehearsal. And I try, you know, like I ask for that not to happen, but if the work needs to be done, then I would do the work. Um, but that's unsustainable. Um, especially if you're doing a 16 hour day, you have a nine hour, call and then you have an hour break in that you're probably drafting in and then you have another five hour call like it's 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 unsustainable so i'd love to see a bit more um of that balance of you know breaks mm-hmm. and less long hours i don't think that's going to happen but i'd love to see it
1: <laughs> hey you can voice it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like,
4: <it's> true yeah
1: <laughs> that's how it starts like yeah i i that's exactly what i was going to say is that like um I, I've really understood how much of a workaholic I have been and, and how I've had to be because I've had to push for the last decade to exist and to uh, make it if I've made it. Um, and I, I've put my whole life into my work and I, I know lots, and I, I know everybody does in this industry and I having this time having like it was actually like a break and it was the first break I've taken in years and it was like a forced break um and so um yeah I I want to try to at least have the intention of talking more about hours and talking more about how to make bit more of a, a livable life work balance.
2: Yeah, I've never understood why we have to work seven days a week, like, or, you know, and why it's regulated that, you know, actors, everybody works six days a week for sure with only one day off. It's just never made sense to me. The rest of the world seems to function with two days off a week. Why can't we? I don't know. Anyway, I do think, and, and you're right, Kate, just, this whole slowing down for me I had a crazy couple of years and this is the first time I've been able to breathe and it's interesting because I've actually slowed down slowed down to a snail's pace where I'm getting absolutely nothing accomplished and I don't want to live like that either so it's yeah it's finding that balance it really is yeah
6: I think you know what you're saying, Kate, is, is, it's not just that we're workaholics and, oh, wow, I really got to learn to slow down. It's that like it's not really an option. Like, I don't have the option to take a week off between projects because I need time to reset and prepare for the next one because I'm not getting paid that week. Like, everything's back to back and it just ends up being, like... Like, I was doing my, my taxes last week and processing all my meal receipts from the past year and that was just, like really depressing to see like oh yeah that's where I had a 15 minute meal break like consistently throughout that tech week uh Michelle like you're talking about those notes calls that go into a rehearsal and I was like yeah I ate five bags of the same granola that week because that was like all I could get from the cafe across the street it's like so sad and yeah. that's where it's like I I feel like I don't have a lot of control over it you know because me saying oh i'm gonna i I don't want to put that work in first of all means that like my designs aren't gonna look as good and like i have to lower my expectations but also that i don't really have a choice of hours that i'm working it's nuts anyways spiel
3: yeah (laughs) no i think that's i think that's what we all are feeling um in this pause right is is reflecting on how much time and, and certainly like, I would like to see and people are working towards it. Um, but, um, as a parent, uh, 16, 18, 20 hour days are challenging. Um, and I have, you know, more than once, uh, in fact, like since, since Aaron, Aaron was, um, you know, three months old in the rehearsal hall, past Mariah lying on the floor while we were doing stuff. And and so he's sort of grown up under the production table, um, which makes him like a great, really great theater baby. But it it's, it makes it really, really challenging in the number of times that I have to use that, that hour break in the, in the nine hour call to go pick him up from school and get him somewhere else. And like, it just, it, it adds a level um of unfriendliness of our of our industry, and though though he's always been welcomed into rehearsal halls and in at, in production and tech weeks, it's it's far from ideal, and it's what we lose by working six days a week. We don't get those two days to to reset with with the. Families and 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 I do think like I feel really fortunate that I that we've been raising him in, in the theater community um, because of I think all the industries and I watch other friends in different industries and all the industries it's the one that is the friendliest to mm-hmm. to kids um, but it's still the impact uh, is is huge because we do have to work if not back to back. Overlapping <laughs> yeah. and overlapping shows and childcare, like it's just, uh, it would be nice to see that shift somehow. However, that I mean, it's a huge systemic shift. Like it changes the way we make theater, um, mm-hmm. which is maybe okay. And yeah, maybe it'll happen in our little
4: pockets somewhere. Yeah. I think it's like better setting, like with this time to slow down, I think I've definitely recognized areas where for myself, like things that I need to work on or boundaries Mm -hmm. I need to set either within myself, like a work day um, or professionally, like setting boundaries. And I think for myself, I'd really like to, you know, post COVID or whenever we get back to work again, be able to like stick to those guns and vocalize things when I need to, or have to kind of thing for, my sanity I think because slowing down really has been a treat is that bad to say like it's been nice to yeah just stop because as we say I feel like I've been going and going and going for so long so yeah
1: the first step is talking about it
7: (laughs) Uh, yeah well unless anyone has anything else to say I just really want to thank everybody for being here and taking the time to chat uh, it's nice to remember that we once did this work and uh, get together and talk about it. Uh, and things are changing fast. So who knows? <laughs> who knows that. What's, what's next? That's true. Yeah. Michael's awesome. back.
0: Well, that was fantastic. Another great hour and a half of discussion with some brilliant Canadian artists. I really uh, appreciate all of you joining us here. On the Title Black Live on June the, and I'm kind of fitting out with my background. I'm not quite sure what's <laughs> happening. I did lose you guys in the middle, my entire, I had a yeah. blue screen of death <gasps> for about. With <Uh-oh>. Amelia. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, right, exactly. So-
3: we reached,
0: reached into another block. Bad and... omen. <laughs> My computer was very, I'm running Windows 10, but it was very jealous of XP. So I just to revert back. Uh, but that's great. So thank you so much, everyone. Uh, and again, a reminder go to uh, thetuttleblock.com where you can see interviews with Beth Cates, Rachel Forbes, Michelle Ramsey, Michelle Cutler, and hopefully in the future. Megan, Pam, Kate, and Amelia. Thank you so much for joining us here. And uh, there'll be links to the bios. You can find links to um, all the artists' work here on thetitleblock.com. And we will see you next week, uh, certainly on the Title Block Live, uh, where we will bring you a panel of some description. Um, I am uh, not sure what it's going to be. we will be working with Connor Moore again to (coughs) set that up. Uh, I just coughed to the side in case I infected all of you on Zoom. That's kind of weird, <laughs> right? I live alone. Everybody, oh. run! Uh, yes, I know. <laughs> um, uh, so, thank you so much. I think we'll end it there and uh, have a good night, everybody. And thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.